Courage to Hope with Tony LaGreca is a show supporting the fight for sobriety against substance abuse and changing the stigma that comes along with it. Tony has been helping families, friends, and loved ones discover recovery services as well as coping skills for over six years following the death of his own son to opioids. Join Tony and his guests each week as they reveal the courage to hope. Here's your host, Tony LaGreca. Thank you, Ben. This is Tony LaGreca, and this is Courage to Hope. And tonight, we have a very interesting guest named Susie Lardy. And Susie was somebody I met at the Grief con uh, Connection uh, session we had about three weeks ago. Welcome, Susie. Hi, Tony. Thanks so much for having me here. Okay. No, it's my pleasure to, to have you. So, um, as, uh, as we know, we met... Um, in a breakout session at the uh, grief conference. And I found that what you do is quite interesting. But before we get into that, um, let's do a little history. So you're in long-term recovery from what you've told me. Mm -hmm. And how long is long-term for you? 30 years, a day at a time. 30 years, okay. And so um, I don't want to guess your age. So Let's just say you were a youngster when that was going on. Um, what what was the what was life like when you were uh, when you were active? I started with alcohol. Alcohol is my gateway um, drug, I would say, and that started very young, um, and it went right into marijuana. That's usually the nice way to, to slip into drugs, but it didn't take long for me to graduate to hardcore drugs. And Hard, um, Hardcore, do you mean opioids or do you mean heroin? No, back then, um, now I'm, I will, I will date myself. Um, so this was in the early seventies. And as a young, as a young person in the early seventies, um, I couldn't afford, um, the the drugs that were around at that time. So I, I was I was more interested in mescaline and um you know the 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 pills that were around then, which would be acid and um there was double barrel purple THC and things of that nature. That's what was on the streets back then. So that's what that's what I was taking along with the alcohol and the marijuana and angel dust was big that back then. So those were the drugs I was, I was using. Um, then I graduated to crystal meth, which was um, fairly inexpensive compared to cocaine back then, um, which really did a number on, on you. Um, but uh, that was, that was a drug of choice because it lasted a long time. It was mostly what was the bang for the buck to keep you from feeling for as long as possible. That's what I found the more I got involved in drugs. So did you feel when you were a teenager or early twenties yep. that there was an, that was, did you think there was, what were you searching for? What were you hoping to get out of all this? Escape. I just, um, I, I never felt like any of the other kids. I never felt comfortable in my own skin from a very early age. I knew I wasn't like my brothers and sisters. I grew up in a very normal Roman Catholic family and I was the oddball kid. And, um, you know, it just, it was very disheartening. And back then, I mean, there were no, there were no, there was no counseling for drugs and alcohol back then for adolescents. Um, you know, and, and I was, you know, in Catholic schools with, with the nuns, with the full habits. I mean, they, they didn't know what to do with you, you know? So it was, it was a different time back then. And, um, and it was a very difficult time to be a young, you know, the baby of the family, that's a girl and the only drug addict in the family. And, um, you know, to be in parochial schools, it was, it was a tough road. I, I will say that. So were you actively, um, <clears throat> indulging while you were actually in school? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Yep. All what? through high school. Absolutely. And college. You know, um, I went to Emerson College in Boston. And, um, you know, basically, if 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 
if uh, and and what I'd like to what I'd like to say at this point is that drugs um drugs were 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 driving all of my decisions at this point in my life by by 16 years old on I I really didn't realize this at the time however they made every choice in my life looking back they chose who I hung around with they chose who I dated they chose what I wanted to do for a career I went to Emerson College because I wanted to be a DJ and hang out with rock and roll bands and that way I could continue to party I mean this is just how warped everything turns you know in 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 the thinking of an addict it's just um yes it, very sad turn of events and Did your um, parents have any idea um yes i mean they absolutely i mean i was running away in high school you know so they knew but but the but the denial in the family unit is is so hardcore um especially back then and and no one was in therapy no one was in counseling um it was more you know there was so much guilt and shame back then um that you you really you didn't hear people ever talk about um if someone was having a problem with addiction or alcoholism you know if someone if someone would ask you know where I was, I mean, chances are people would say, you know, I was, I was visiting relatives or something, you know, I mean, it was, it was not something that, that was really spoken about, but they, I, honestly, my, my parents couldn't have been any more supportive and, you know, they, they tried so hard to help me. My whole family tried so hard to help me. They just didn't know how, you know, I mean, this was very foreign for them. It was foreign for my whole family. Um, they didn't know what to do with me. And um, I, I can only imagine what it must have been like for them. And um, I'm just I'm just so grateful that I was able to be sober and spend, you know, eight to 10 years with both of them being the kind of daughter I always hoped I could be later on before they both went to heaven. Because, you know, it it's it, it's it's horrible what drugs and alcohol does to the addict. It really is. Yes. Um, so the U.S. somewhere along the line, you had a big turning point. Yes. And what was the what was the turning point that got you into sobriety? Well, I had been in and out of. Um, I was one of those, you know, chronic relapsers, um, and I, uh, I. You know, and that's why I'm so grateful. I'm actually grateful that I was because when people come into the program and, you know, I, I, I see, I see the people, the old timers that, you know, roll their eyes or something. And I just, I just want to shake them and say, you know, you always have to be there for these people. I mean, you just never know when it's going to take. And, and if, you just have to be there for them. I mean, I was that person. Um, and so for me, it took a lot of tries before it actually took for me. And I spent 10 years bouncing in and out of the program. And finally, I was able to put together 20 years of continuous sobriety. What happened for me on the last try, you know, I can't honestly say. I mean, I just... Each time that I came back in the program, I knew I was going to die. You know what I mean? Like I, I knew that drugs and alcohol were so, they had soaked up my body like a sponge. Okay. There was, there was nothing left of who I used to be of myself. Everything was drugs and alcohol in me. Very little drugs and alcohol would make me go over the top. It didn't take much for me to go past my limit. And I didn't know what my limit was anymore because it I was so saturated. I always had drugs and alcohol in my system. So it, it was very frightening for me to use. Honestly, it was. It was very scary for me to use, but I still used every day, all day. But it was it wasn't a fun thing to do for a long time for me. It was just something that I had to do. 
And I knew that it wasn't, it wasn't fun for many years, but, um, so with the last time that I used, I remember <clears throat> when I stopped, I just said, you know what? I know I'm going to die from this, but here's the problem. When I get up to the pearly gates and I meet, and I meet my maker, St. Peter's going to be at the gates and he's going to look at me and he's going to say to me, what have you done with your gifts? And I'm going to have to look at him and say, nothing. And I'm not going to get in. This was what I remembered thinking at the time. I am not going to get in. And I was so scared of that, that I said, I need to get I need to get sober and do something good with the rest of whatever's left of my life, or I'm not going to get into heaven later on. That's truthfully why I got sober. And um, so you, yeah, religion. Yeah, and religion the last time I got point. sober, I didn't need a treatment center. I walked right into an AA clubhouse in West Palm Beach, Florida, and the old timers at the seven o'clock in the morning meeting. They took me in, the old timers at the seven o'clock in the morning meeting took me in and they gave me endless cups of coffee. I smoked tons of cigarettes and I hung out at that clubhouse for hours on end and basically detoxed in there because for crystal meth and cocaine, there isn't a detox, you know, it's not like it's opioids. So... I had to basically detox on my own anyways. What and, you mean uh, is you, you don't get dope sick like you right. do with opioids. Yeah. Yeah. So it's you not just like come down cocaine. off of the cocaine and yeah. you, know, you, There's you no feel invincible. And, or, yeah. yeah. So I just, I hung out with these, with these, and they were a lot, a lot of them were retirees from Florida, you know, and they were just, they were up super early anyways. So it was great. You know, they would, they would hang out with me and, you know, a lot of them would bake. They would be baking, you know, uh, they knew I loved sweets. So they would be making me these, you know, big, wonderful coffee rolls and stuff. And it was wonderful. They'd come in and take good care of me. And it was wonderful. So I just, uh, yeah, that's how I got sober for the last time. Very good. And did you ever do the 12 steps and go through the? AA oh, sessions. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. I had a wonderful actually the sobriety I found in 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 Florida. I don't like to compare but um I found I found it much better for myself than I found it up here just just for me in in Massachusetts. I'm still pretty tight with people in in Florida. Um I don't know. It's just I lived down there for 19 years after I got sober. I'm from Massachusetts. I went down there to get sober and I, I didn't leave. I didn't leave for 19 years. But um, yeah, I just my 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 favorite all time sponsor. Um, she died of cancer or she would still be my sponsor. She was down there. But um yeah, we had we had wonderful women's big book groups and and things of that nature that we we got together on and um very tight. But I'll tell you I do I learned so much from my sponsor who is gone now that that's how I sponsor I sponsor my sponsees exactly how she sponsored me. So I do love that. How many people are you sponsoring sponsorees do you have now? I only I only sponsor one or two at a time. I don't ever at take on more than that. And neither did she. You know, but you've taken on working. you've taken on quite a few over a period of time. You just do one or two at a time. That's exactly. I, I totally understand the point there because um it it can be quite emotional and it's enough to handle. One or two is enough. And I'm very so. thorough. You know, I don't and and like one of my sponsees, I've had her for five years. So, you know, that's it. Yeah. She's got the spot for as long as, you know, that's that's how that goes. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. And She's what is, doing remarkably well. So there you go. And what is it that you say to them that <clears throat> I heard you say something about 
30 days and and how alcohol wants to kill you or something. Give me, how does that? 30 years. Happen? I've got 30 years and it still wants to kill me. Absolutely. Alcohol and drugs. They're, they're, they're just waiting in the wings. They're, they're, as they say, you know, they're doing push-ups. They're waiting for, they're waiting for that opportunity. And a really good example of that, I think, was when I was, and it's it's, a, it's as much physical as it is mental. And I found that out when I was at, I was at a bar because I can go anywhere, you know, not, you know, I, so long as I stay spiritually fit, I can go anywhere, you know, anywhere anyone can go. And um, I was going to see my high school friend's band play um, down at the C-Note um, at Nantasket Beach um, with another friend of mine from high school who was up from Florida. She lives down there now. And <clears throat> so um, when he was done playing, I bought him a drink. And usually, but it's strange, whenever I buy someone a drink and you know they're not in the program like me, Usually they're standing next to me and I'll just order it for them. And they just, you know, they take it and they they're on their way. You know what I mean? But he was still up at the stage, like getting his equipment together to get off the stage. So I had to physically carry that over to him, which I have never done. I, I realized then I have never put a glass of alcohol in my hand in 30 years. And I just didn't notice that. It was very strange. So I had this bottle of beer in my hand that I was carrying over to him. And God is my jet. I was carrying this over. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my mouth started watering. And I was like, are you kidding me? 30 years sober, haven't touched a drop of alcohol, haven't touched anything. I'm not thinking about drinking. I'm having a wonderful time here. I've got a Diet Coke and a bottle of water, like waiting for me at my table. I'm very happy having a, and I'm holding this beer and my mouth, just like Pavlov, my yeah. mouth is watering like it used to when I was going to have a beer. And the next thing that crosses my mind out of the blue is no one would know if I took a sip of this. You're right. No Except for you. Huh? Except for you. Except for you. Right. But I mean, I never think like that. You know what I'm saying? This sure. is the insanity. This is how I know this thing is just, it's so much bigger than, it's so much bigger than we are. It just is. 30 years, doing the right thing, hanging with the right people. I mean, and that, and I told my sponsees that night, I wanted them to know. I called them, let them know. I said, just so you know, I'm not kidding when I say it's constant vigilance. It's there all the time. It's waiting for you all the time. Did I do anything about it? No. Did, you know, am I, am I obsessing over it? No. Am I super grateful that I have God and I have, you know, all these supports in my life? Absolutely. But I mean, it just, I was like, can you imagine the power that this thing has 30 years later, thinking of nothing, boom, just like that. Oh yeah. It's instant. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, my disease of choice was gambling. And um, if I watch, try to watch a football game now and they keep talking about lines and over and under and all that stuff. If I sit and think about it, um, I actually break into a sweat around my elbows and my arms on both sides. Really? The anxiety comes all, all over me and that's why I, I can't watch it. Can't do it. Wow. Can't do it. I have to, I can't watch anything live. I have to tape it and fast forward every time they start talking about fan duel, uh, yeah, or, uh, you know any of that stuff. So, I just it's it's now it's it's everywhere, and I think it's going to be one of the biggest problems in our country going forward because now it's legal everywhere. I believe, and it. I think, and I think that's a big a big big issue. 
So um, I met you at the brief conference, mm-hmm. and you were doing something where we were drawing, drawing our hands on a board. Tell me about your company. I think sure. that's really cr- crucial. We want to know about that. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so on my 24th sober anniversary, um, I always knew I wanted to give back um, because so many people helped me on my recovery journey. Um, and what I was noticing the longer I stayed sober was all these young kids were dying of fentanyl and see fentanyl wasn't around when I was getting high, you know, it wasn't even in the mix because I got, I got clean in 93, you know, so it wasn't, it, it wasn't something that anybody was doing. If anything, people were dying from AIDS back then, you know. That's they correct. Yep. That was yeah. <clears throat> you know, they weren't they weren't dying from fentanyl. So, you know, when I started seeing all these young kids dying from fentanyl, I was thinking, my God, you know. And then I thought to myself, if someone told me that young that I couldn't party anymore, I would be like no way. Like, I don't know how I would react to that. I, 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 I don't think I would, I would just say yes. I think I would just party and take my chances. And that's, and that's scary because it is such a life or death thing now. So I said to myself, I'm thinking, okay, so what, you know, that can't be the answer. What, what can we come up with? And I said, well, I, you know, graffiti's cool. You know, that's something that's cool. And you got to give them something that's fun, cool, high octane, something that, you know, they could wrap their heads around. I mean, and, and graffiti, it's got a bad rap, you know. A lot of people were doing, you know, if you look up the word graffiti, you'll find a million ways to remove it. You know, you'll find out how much jail sentence you can get for bombing it, you know, like doing it illegally. But you're not going to find out how much money you can make doing a mural of it, which is wrong because a lot of graffiti artists now are making bank doing huge, gorgeous murals for you know, huge buildings in New York City, in San Francisco, in Boston, everywhere. But they don't like to promote it, you know. And so I said to myself, I said, you know what? It's a last ditch effort, but I'm going to try it. I'm going to I'm going to see if I can get some graffiti artists behind me. And I knew so many people out there have lost loved ones already to fentanyl, that there's a good chance I'm going to be able to get them to back me and come in and see if we can, you know, do something and try to get these kids on board. So that was originally what this was for, was just to try and get addicts that might seek recovery to get involved and learn you know, learn about graffiti and see how they could do it in a positive way and maybe learn from some graffiti masters because you can't, you can't think about two things at once, right? You can't want to get high and want to learn how to do graffiti at the same time. I was just trying to put a little bit of time between them wanting to get high and wanting to do something else. That's really what I was hoping to do. And you know, all of a sudden, some kids were turning into art engineers. They were getting into it. They were learning how to make stencils. They were making friends with these people. You know, they were taking pride in this. I mean, some of these graffiti artists are like worldwide. They're like, they're like not just known in Boston. They're known everywhere. So it was, it was very cool to see some of the kids get involved. Um, then it branched out from there and it it turned into something else and it turned into graffiti itself is just so 
powerful and beautiful. Why not use it to give back to the communities, right? Why not just do murals out of graffiti for the city? So we did um we did a make a difference mural, a hundred foot mural in the city of uh Brockton that has um you know, it shows little kids on the beach from the starfish story where the little kids are on the beach, all different nationalities. They're on the beach and they're throwing these starfish back. And um, there's an old man on the beach saying, you know, why are you throwing these back in the in the ocean? You can't save them all. And the kid says, but I'm but I'm making a difference for this one. And in huge letters, it says you can make a difference. It's beautiful. You drive up the street, you see it. You know, so we're making we're making positive murals. We're doing things with people. When when you saw us, we try to help people with grief with the recovery art. You know, with the Healing Hands project that we did at your conference. Um, Can you explain that to the audience? Sure. Um, that was where people get in where people that have lost loved ones. Um, no matter how long it's been, when people have lost loved ones, we want them to be able to externalize, not internalize everything that's going on with them. Um, it's good for them to be able to express and get their feelings out. Um, but also, it doesn't have to be in a in a public display, it can be just something that's externalized for themselves, maybe for people close to them, but, you know, just something to get out of the inner depths of themselves, because, you know, some of that can, it can cause physical ailments too, you know? So when we, when we started doing this healing hands project, the idea was um, to have, the people that are affected by the loved one's loss, let the focus be on them, not the person that they have lost. And let them look at, take a look, a snapshot at their life, what it was like before they lost their loved one. And the left hand would represent what their life was like before. So when they drew um, the outline of their hand on a canvas, the left hand, um, they could put anything. They could put colors, they could put words, um, images, thoughts, whatever, whatever random things they wanted to put that represented how they felt, what they were doing, what they were going through um, before their loved one died. Didn't have to all be happy things. Didn't have to all be sad things. Could be a combination of a lot of things, you know. Um, could be something like, you know, they were going to hockey games if he played hockey. Or could be they were hanging out with these group of people. Or, you know, just you, you don't know. I mean, it could be they were looking for him on Mass Ave, you know. I mean could be a combination of a bunch of different things. Could be they were fighting, you know, um, but whatever it was. And what I liked was when we had this, when we had this project, um, we were all sitting together in a circle first. And, you know, a lot of these people didn't know each other, even at this conference, which is nice. So they could kind of like share a little bit with each other and kind of get to know each other's story, just a little tiny bit about what they might be saying and it kind of helped each other i think um to to get it out there what they might want to say about themselves and it might have helped each other figure out what they wanted to say then the right hand was going to be dedicated solely to what went on afterwards um after the person died and you know one whole one whole chapter of that hand could have been just didn't get out of bed you know, didn't answer the phone, didn't this, didn't that. Um, again, it's going to depend. All the people at this conference, somebody might have been there because they just lost someone four months ago. 
You know, someone might have lost someone 10 years ago. Their journeys are going to be different. So what they're going to put on this is going to be different. You know, one person um, mentioned that they, you know, felt so guilty because they were relieved. And um, I'm so glad that she shared that because I think, I think she felt like a weight came off her shoulder when she said that. And, you know, everyone was there to say, no, you know, that's, you know, don't, don't feel bad. You know, he's at peace and you're at peace, you know, like that's okay to be relieved. And you could just, I don't know, you could see it kind of lifting off of her. It was, I think it was a great, it was a great um, exercise and I was really honored to be able to do it. So that's that's one of the things we do for grief. Um, I mean, I was one of your students, so I yeah. can definitely say that it it was quite the thing. And I totally understand the relief part because um, my son was in trouble for twenty years, and and I was we were just as much in trouble with him for the twenty years. There's an awful lot that goes on during those twenty years, a lot of stress and. Uh, your whole life is uh, you're always afraid to answer the phone, right. especially when the landline rings. When the right. landline rings, you know, now you know it's spam. But before, when the landline <clears throat> rang, you know, it was somebody who old style authority. Chances are it's the police department, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, or it's it's uh, him or her with her one call, you know, help me out mm-hmm. kind of thing, you know, so. And I, it was a whole lifestyle change after he passed away. You know, and what I found is when I, I, with both hands, I found positive things in both hands, especially the, the left hand, you know, that was the key thing is uh, to stay, write the things into each finger mm. that, that you found, that I found that was positive. And um, I saved them. I actually have them in the other room. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't, you know, it's a life lesson well learned. And that's why I wanted you to explain that to the audience tonight so people could understand, you know, um, yeah. what it's all about. So now I know that was a conference. Do you do other conferences that you do things like that normally? Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, we do. Um, for example, for the Teamsters, um, they have grief groups and um, we have done. For example, we do we have something called um, the um, keep the light on, um, where we will have we have these like little small lamps, um, it, and so for if someone's lost a loved one, um, we will we will get these lamps, and they're perfect for say like a nightstand or something like that. So it can be a personal lamp for the person that they can have more just, you know, an occasional table type lamp. And we take, um, they'll give me, everybody has a song that reminds them of someone, you know? Um, and so whatever the song is, I will then, I, um, I subscribe to a lot of different, um, sheet music companies and I will I will locate that sheet music for that song and we will find that sheet music and we will um, decoupage that on the lampshade. And so when that lights up, the song will light up on the lampshade and then underneath we can have a workshop where underneath the loved one can decorate the bottom of the lamp with anything that they would like to put on there. You know, if there are pictures they might want to put on there, if there's like, you know, like a little note or something or something they want to add to it, um, they can put that on the, it's almost like having a scrapbook, but it's like on the bottom of, of this lamp. So that's cool. I did that for um, Robin Bean for The Sun Will Rise. She wanted to have a painting on the bottom of it. So we did that. I did it for Mary Peckham. Um, 
We did that for her. She picked uh, Simple Man um, for her son. And Robin Bean picked Ripple um, by Grateful Dead for Nick. Um, but it's it's a uh, it's a very powerful it's it's just a soothing it's a soothing thing to have that that's a that's a nice thing to do to have a workshop like that um another thing that we do also is we create portraits of loved ones that have passed away for for the for the people that are left behind and these gorgeous. big portraits or that's someone's son that died of an opioid overdose. So the mother gave us the picture that she wanted. And then we created, um, we created the image for her. It's probably, a, uh, maybe a so lens. That's, that's lens. artwork. That's yeah. art that you did in there. Cause oh, that yes. looks, that looked almost like, like a photograph. It was so good. That's it. Uh, they give us the photograph and we create, it's probably maybe an 11 by 14. Yeah. It's know. good size. Yeah. It's um it's good it's, size, something they can they can put in a frame and exactly near, near where they sit at night or something in there. Yes. Yeah. So so we do that. Um we also do say um at opioid vigils how we started doing the Robin Bean from the Sun Will Rise Foundation, she came to our second um graffiti event that we ever did back in 2018 when I started. Yes. Um, she came to it. That's how, that's how I got involved with, with this, um, the grief, the grief side of this. She came to this and she said she was having the, um, Beanstalk Festival, um, that she had, she used to have every year in Braintree in memory of her son, Nick, which was the music festival. And then it was the opioid vigil in Braintree. And, she asked me if I would bring the graffiti boards. I had these big graffiti boards, stands, um, that I put canvases on, blank canvases, and people could write on them. So I brought them to her event, and um, all these people that were there to hear the music and to um, light the candles for the vigil, um, they came up and they wrote on the boards messages for their loved ones and everything. So... Um, we did that. And um, so now we, we definitely have, we have, um, we have memorial boards for um, opioid vigils. And we do that for them. And we do that for Holbrook Cares for their events and things like that. So yeah, we have, we do work at opioid vigils. We do the, we do the lamps um, to, to memorialize them. Um, and now we have this, the hand thing and the portraits and yes, we're, we're open to lots of things that, because I mean, I lost my best friend to, to opioids, you know, back in the day and, uh, back in 2015 and, um, and then I lost my, my favorite artist that I did this graffiti work with. Um, Keith Mize, and uh, that came out of the blue. He had just he just celebrated two years clean, which was the longest he'd ever had, and uh, doing work with us. And I mean, he was like my comrade Noms. He was just doing everything with us. And then, and we had another event coming up in a week and a half, and boom, he was gone. That was it. And no, I mean. I didn't see it coming. And usually I think I'm pretty, you know, I can tell if somebody's in relapse mode and I didn't see it. So there you go. Yeah. Just took sometimes them off. They, sometimes they celebrate and they try to take the same amount of whatever they were doing the two years prior and their body can't handle it. So it's usually pretty quick. Oh, I've yeah. No, I'm I've sure. Seen it one over night. and over and over again that we've had this scenario that this has happened, you know, and um, so I wanted to ask, um, how does somebody get a hold of you to have you come oh, yeah. into their function? Absolutely. Um, so I always recommend they, they call me my cell phone. Um, I always have it with me. It's 781-789-2724. 
that comes right to me. Susie Lordy, L-O-R-D-I. Say it again. Sure. 781-789-2724. Okay. And I can tell you that <clears throat> it will be a good event if Susie's taking, doing it with you. Um, Thanks. She brings a lot of enthusiasm to the cable and, and a lot. Uh, her sobriety has definitely brought out a, a person that's uh, really into it. I can't even emphasize the enthusiasm. And uh, when I went into the to York session, I was not sure what I was getting into. And, um, and I'm probably the worst artist you've ever talked to. And, um, no. and when I when I drew my hand on the paper, I forgot that I didn't realize that you needed the plastic gloves because I oh. drew the I drew the blue ink on on, I, on my hand was uh, whatever whatever that ink was that you use. I uh, I made a perfect hand, but I made a perfect hand on my hand too, you know, oh. with the blue with all the ink. <laughs> and unfortunately, uh, I with a little scrubbing, I could get it off. Um, <clears throat> But um, I, would I had like to look around. I had to look around to see what other people were doing because, um, as I said, art was not one of my things in school. I was a good student, but I was a terrible artist. And um, well, you did a wonderful job. Yeah, I was just you know, I was the kid that did stick figures when everybody else was doing humans. You know, <laughs> um, but um, I, I will tell you too that I I. I met a woman in Washington, D.C. who uh, talked to me about my son. And uh, she asked me to send a picture, which I did. She said a, a picture that was the last picture I took, which I found. I was wondering why she wanted the last one that I took. And that I was I kind of remembered which one that probably was. And um, two months later, I got a portrait in the mail big portrait it was like two feet by 12 inches and uh, and it was all different colors on his face to show his emotions the emotions that were going through his and um she hit it right on the right on the head she was really and um and i say good night to him every night through that portrait mm. so and um, people some people don't understand um about grief and they don't, they don't get it because they have never lost a child, but that's, it's like the, the most painful thing that a person could ever go through in their life without a doubt, you know, is losing a child you can lose parents, you know, it's going to definitely, it's going to happen, you know, cause that's the order of life is, you know, birth, marriage, grandparents, death, you know, it's just kind of the way it goes. But when it's disrupted by, you know, my son was supposed to hang around so he could wipe up my dribble, not me to take care of him, you know. And that's the way we used to always joke about it, you know, that when I was in the nursing home, he was going to take care of me. But but then that is never going to happen, you know. And so they, these kind of things you go through is um, very, very hard to deal with. But these events like the, like the, um, the grief conference, was um, for those that didn't attend, you need to go because it's really it's a it's a life changing event mm. uh, to, to listen to the different speakers and to go into the different sessions and just to be there with other like minded people. Uh, yeah, was, I mean there wasn't one person that I didn't feel uncomfortable talking to, and wow. each time you you went for dinner, you would sit with six or eight different people because there was no seating plan. It was just you're on your own. So you get to say hello to everybody and you set this, start talking to them and then you hear their story and it's all very similar to your own story. And uh, and you were part of that conference. And uh, besides the hands, what other things do you do? You, do? you must have other things that you have. Oh, yes. Uh, well, I, I work with... Um... I work with um, the Drug Endangered Children's Initiative um, with the Plymouth County um, Drug Abuse Task Force and the, and um, Tim Cruz's DA's office. Um, that that's a big one as well. Um, and what do you, what do, you do for them? Can you explain? So, 
So for example, right now, um, uh, my, my next initiative that I'm working on is called teen in a hoodie. And, um, what it is, is it's going to be, I've, I've created, um, my, my master graffiti artist and I have created an image of a teen in a hoodie, which actually I will also send you. There's a teen in a hoodie and what, what it is, is it's going to be a series of going to see youth. Um, my goal is that we get to, we get to see teenagers, right? Because we got to get them before they're doing the opioids. All right. So it's got to be young teenagers and we get with them. And the idea is to use this as a prevention piece where there's a, there's a, there's a, we're going to have an image of a teenager. My artist will draw it, the image of the teenager. And the teenager is going to be on a um, brick wall, just a little brick wall, right? And there's going to be um, caution tape in back of them. And you can't tell if it's a boy or a girl because it's the back of a teen with a hoodie. So it could be either or, right? Right. So the teen with the hoodie with baggy pants and, you know, little Converse sneakers or whatever on. And um, so when we're sitting there with the youth, we're going to be asking the youth. It's going to be a group discussion. And the topic is going to be that the teen is about to is about to take a drug. OK, and that's why he's got this foot on the ledge. Right. Of the of the wall and he's about to make the bad decision. So the first thing that the group is going to do is we're going to ask him, we're going to say, okay, pretend you're that kid and you're in that kid's head. What is that kid telling himself? Now this is a peer of theirs, right? We want their feedback. What's he telling himself herself that they're not telling anybody else? that it's cool, that it's fun, that I don't feel comfortable in my own skin. You know what I mean? What is this kid telling himself? We want them to give us the answers. We're gonna have them write those answers on that caution tape, the kids that are in that group. Oh, I see, okay. And then, <clears throat> so the kids don't feel powerless, we're going to then ask the kids, there's going to be another set of caution tape that's going to have um, a scissor with it. So they're cutting through the tape, right? And the kids are going to say, we're going to ask the same kids. We're going to say to the kids, what do you think we could have? What do you think we could do? You could do, right? What do you think you could do to maybe get those kids to, if not stop, but maybe, you know, delay what they're doing right now, you know? Yeah. And say, you know, hey, you know, you want to go for an ice cream or, you know what I mean? Just something. Yes. And if you can't think of anything, then is there somebody you could talk to about this? Like a coach or a teacher that you like even if it's not in this grade and explain to the kid, you're not being a narc or this or that by doing that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So those are the things they'd write on that tape. I think it's going to be very powerful. I agree with you. That's yeah. very good. Yeah. And you're talking, you're talking 13, 14, 15 year olds. Not, right. Yeah. And that's, not that's our and... baby. That's going to be copyrighted for 24 hour power for, for a project for youth. Yeah that I want to bring to, I hope we get to bring it to a lot of school age kids because they need it and they'll feel like they're part of the solution, you know? So that's one no. of them. And the other one is we're looking to do more work in the um, prisons because we've been, we were able to go into the Plymouth County House of Corrections this past summer, which was awesome. And we got to work with um, the, 
um, inmates that were interested in, they were involved in the Pathways to Recovery program. And we were able to do art for recovery in there. It was awesome. It was great. We did it all summer with them. You could see where that would be very effective. I'm, I'm you know, I, I talked to a few <clears throat> county sheriffs and had them on the air. And they, they tell me that 80% of the inmates are there for drug-related crimes. Absolutely. It's a, it's with if you didn't have the drug related crimes, you wouldn't it, prisons would be one fourth the size that they are today. You know, it's and, heartbreaking. Uh, it is, you know, so it's like um, and and I believe that while they're in the best time for the to do rehab is while they're incarcerated because exactly. then they can't leave. They can't leave. And, and even if they're reluctant in the beginning, they'll they'll get the message. They'll get the message after a while and, and it'll click. Might take weeks or months, but it'll click, you know, and and you can't just send them back out. You've got to make sure yeah. they've got housing and they can, they're going to a halfway house or they're doing, they have a plan when they leave. Otherwise yeah. the plan the will be to go right back. Side of it. Yeah. yeah. They'll go right back to the guys who were, who were their drug dealers you know, yeah. you've got to get all those names out of their cell phones before they go back out and make yeah. sure they get a whole new list of friends. It was you know? it was the highlight of my summer. I'm telling you, it was wonderful. It really was. It Very was, good. It was that, awesome. Was, and I would like to I would like to plug they have a uh, there's a fundraiser coming up this Sunday at uh, the Ryan's family. What's that? The family family uh, entertainment centers. Yes. In Hanover. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sunday from four to seven, it's Battle of the Badges, and it's going to benefit um, the Drug Endangered Children Initiative. And um, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be awesome. And that's okay. gonna, that's that's this Sunday. Um, I believe it's it's um, it's ho it's hosted by Plymouth County Sheriff, Plymouth County Drug Abuse Task Force. Yeah. Okay. And it's in Hanover at the old. Yes. In Hanover yeah. from four to seven. Where Starland used to be. It's mm -hmm. the same, same facility. It's big basketball courts and everything else there. Yeah. For those of you who are listening on, on Thursday, that's still good for Sunday. But those of you who are listening to the show on Monday, you missed it by a day. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, Susie, is there anything I didn't ask you that you'd like to, say to the audience that's listening anybody want to volunteer let me know man because we could we could definitely use we could definitely use volunteers or artists anybody want to do art with us please let me know you don't have to be you know this accomplished artist just you like art and you want to get involved or you know you like kids and you want to do art with kids or you want to volunteer and give back. We do a lot of stuff with the homeless and the winter's coming up. And yeah, please get in touch with me. And uh, our and website. Your phone when your phone number again is? 781-789-2724. And the website is power dot com 24hrpower.com you got it okay easy to remember i didn't even write it down so it's like it's very good okay thank you so much and we've been talking to Susie laurie is that how you say your last name laurie laurie and she is full of great ideas and i really appreciate her taking out the time today and to speak with us. And this is Tony LaGreca, and this is The Courage to Hope. And remember, everything that we do, <clears throat> it becomes a podcast. So you can always go to the WMEXBoston.com. You'll find all of the Courage to Hope podcasts in right there from over the last, there's 75 of them now. So there's plenty there to listen to. You can go back over the last year, and maybe you'll find somebody of interest that you want to listen to. Again, I thank you very much, and it's the courage to hope. It's Tony LaGreca. Thank you. Have a good evening. Thanks. Bye.
We are a staple in the neighborhood. Most of our customers have been coming here since they were children for 75 years. It's been the Fowler House since 1946. And so there's a lot of memories here. And so when people think of Quincy Center, they do think of the Fowler House. We're in our 43rd year here at the Fowler House and we haven't changed much. We are going to add a few new menu items. We're going to spruce up some of the ones that we already have on the menu. We're going to improve on a few appetizers, adding pulled pork to the menu permanently on the sandwich side, adding Italian sandwich. So it's going to broaden the sandwich offerings. We're also going to add a special burger in the name of someone at WMEX. We're going to roll out a new drink list, adding some ball flavors for the next few months, winter flavors, and then some permanent items such as some new margaritas, bourbon smashes, old fashions, kind of get back to that traditional uh, cocktail menu. Fowler House Cafe located at 1049 Hancock Street and online at thefowlerhousecafe.com. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and you can of course hear us on the airwaves at 1510WMX. Rogers Jewelry has been a family-owned business in my family since 1960. My grandfather actually ran the chain, and then my dad bought it from him in 1960. I came here in 1988 and got 35 years in, and it's a lot of fun. I'm third generation. We're the only store in Quincy with a graduate gemologist on staff, and we are proud to say we have the number one contributing kettle in the city. When people come in for services like size a watch that was bought somewhere else, we charge them, but we charge them a donation to the Salvation Army. So we're helping a stranger and they're helping a stranger. Rogers Jewelry, 1250 Hancock Street, downtown Quincy, or visit rogersjewelry.com.